When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Do you know who my dad is? A limited series podcast from Betches Media. Hosted by Brian Russell Smith and Alicia Angelus. Do you know who my dad is? A podcast about failing up. Hello and welcome to Do You Know Who My Dad Is? I'm Brian Russell Smith. I'm Alicia Angelus. And Do You Know Who My Dad Is? is a limited series podcast brought to you by the Betches Sup, Not Another True Crime, and at Betches, exploring dynastic nepotism and the effects it has on media, culture, and our current political system. Let's get dynasty. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> We're here. We're back. Alicia, how are you? Good. I am coming off of, you know, the end of summer blues, but everything is good. Yes. Well, the good thing about climate change and global warming is that we do seem to have a little bit of extra time of summer. (laughs) That is about the only benefit because it's pretty awful. But yeah, so today we are talking about some prominent Hollywood families I'm going to be talking about the Disneys in a minute, but first, Alicia is going to be talking about the Barrymores. The Barrymores, yes. And nepotism really is such a predominant factor across all of Hollywood, so we were super excited to kind of bring you guys some stories around it as they relate to celebrities who you might know, people that you might know. And the reason that I chose the Barrymores is because they have about six generations of actors for some godforsaken reason. They all (laughs) have really fucked up pasts that date to the early 1800s. But for some reason, they all made it. Um, And I think there's no doubt that like having a Hollywood like lineage can like get you in the door at auditions. But like, I almost feel as if it's crazy to think that like people would walk in and like they would still get it. Like I almost think I would judge the person more if I knew that they were the centered daughter of, you know, like a Hilton, the Hadid, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I like to kind of think about this in four generations because six was going to be too many for me to get through. <laughs> but totally. What I like, too, is that with Drew Barrymore, her story starts off, as I said, in like the 1800s. But what I found doing all my research is that there are so many other people in her kind of like world, like Jake Gyllenhaal, Jennifer Aniston, Angelina Jolie, Julia Roberts, Matthew Broderick, like all of them had famous mothers and fathers. And Drew Barrymore had famous fathers basically throughout her entire life. 
So I'm going to start with her great grandfather. Um, <laughs> so her great grandfather's name is Herbert Arthur Chamberlain Blythe. He's also known by his stage name, which is Maurice Barrymore. Um, he was an Indian born British stage actor and he basically was Drew Barrymore's great, great grandfather. So, so the Barrymore last name comes from a stage name. Like, that's what I was trying to figure out. It definitely seems like it's a stage name because it began as a stage name and then it just, like, stuck. That's so interesting. Yeah, like, I feel as if Blythe to Barrymore is a little hard to pinpoint, (laughs) but I'm assuming, yeah, seems like a stage name. Yeah, it makes me also think of, like, is Julia Roberts a stage name? Pretty sure I think it is. (laughs) Who knows? Um, but yeah, so Maurice's father like wanted him to become a lawyer, but he ended up like falling into acting at the time. And at this time, acting was legitimately like standing in photos and like doing things, which is astounding to me. So this is like 1872, where things are kind of like still super early in the game. But in the 1880s, Maurice went on to be one of the first like famous Broadway stars where he ended up having three kids, John, Lionel, and Ethel. And John, Herbert Arthur Chamberlain's youngest son, was Drew's grandfather. So pretty much right after like his father passed, now we're going down to John Barrymore, the grandfather, like he his son was already in acting. And like there's not much history I was able to find on those two, but like they already were starting this kind of, you know, dynastic tour of acting, if you will, that they just kind of stumbled into. And it wasn't necessarily something with like, you know, political people where they're committed to get their people into places of office. It was more so that they were these socialites who decided to be able to get their kids into auditions just for fun. Mm. Like that was like a fun thing to do. Um, but John Barrymore struggled with alcohol abuse from a super young age. He was married four times. This is now, again, like Drew Barrymore's grandfather. And what I kind of started seeing as a pattern here is that everybody had multiple marriages. Everybody struggled with alcohol abuse. And he still went on to succeed. And now we're kind of in the 1900s leading into World War II where John Drew actually went on to like start creating films that like pique the interest of the Warner brothers who were also another massive Hollywood family. And now that we're kind of in the yeah, early, I 90s, think it's, I think it's funny to think of the Warner brothers, like, because they were actually brothers. Yeah. You think it's just a name, but it's actually the name, like they, they were brothers. Like, like how you like Smith and sons, like roofing or something. Yeah. And like, To think that people like the Barrymores associated with people like the Warner Brothers, I'm just like, were the only It families at that time all in entertainment? Or like, who else were like the It families in like 1920? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so now we're basically like in the 30s and 40s. This family is becoming like the It family in Hollywood. And they basically were still like very much consumed by alcohol where the grandfather ended up like 
going down a massive decline um, in the 30s, as many of these men do. And he, of course, before he passed, he gave birth to, you know, Drew's father, um, John Drew Barrymore. So Mm -hmm. John Drew Barrymore made his first film appearance when he was like 17 years old in the 50s. Wow, that's so late for a Barrymore, 17. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And like, like his father and his grandfather, he had like a super rough life, but like he apparently was like incarcerated for drug use, like public drunkenness, and was pretty much a very violent alcoholic. And he ended up even going to prison for possession of marijuana. He also had multiple wives. And it was his third wife who was Drew Barrymore's mother. So I was really interested to see that all these people have like three or four wives. Because I feel as if in, in celebrity culture, that's not something that's like really heard of as much like I know drugs are like a huge thing sure but like the three to four marriages I don't know well it's interesting because you know at the time divorce is something that was like such a faux pas like they'd be like so and so got divorced yeah and the fact that like all of these people in the mid nine, even like 1950s like that's still a bad time like that was still not a normal time to get divorced Yeah, and these are all these people who date back to, like, the late 1800s, very early 1900s, who are, like, not great people. Like, I would think if you had, like, three, four wives, you were probably not the one getting on Broadway because you Mm -hmm. were probably looked down upon. But, you know, these people somehow made it. Mm -hmm. So now we know that Drew's mother is in the picture And I'm going to fast forward to, you know, 1975, where Drew Barrymore was born. And I think that is the craziest time (laughs) because, A, it wasn't too long ago. And B, she was a child actress at the age of seven (laughs) Mm -hmm. when she starred in E.T. So going into scandals, I think Drew's entire life is a fucking scandal. She, like I said, was already an actor at age seven. But the craziest part of this is that her mom basically exposed her to, like, the whole Hollywood, like, Paul fame, if you will. Like, they were partying, they were going to clubs, she was around drugs when she was legitimately seven, eight, and nine. So what I kind of think happened here is that her mom was, like, so excited that her kid could now become a child star because her father had been one, whatever, that she was like, oh, my God, let me reap the benefits. And... I mean, Drew, the movie E.T. was so massive uh-huh. that, like, I they even did, like, a re-release. Like, I remember years later, um, because, like, what? I mean, when did E.T., when she was seven, you know, that was, like, in the early 80s, I, they did a oh, re-release yeah. when I was old enough to go to the movie theaters for my birthday. I had, mm-hmm. I had a movie, I had a movie birthday at, a, at an E.T. re-release, like, what, 15 years later? So I can't imagine that she was seven and probably like one of the biggest celebrities in the world at that time. And it's all because her dad had these like ties to old Broadway. And then like his third wife was like, let me become a stage mom. I'm going to make this girl an icon, bring her everywhere. So Drew and her mother started being seen at like all these clubs. They were like apparently regulars at like Studio 54. (laughs) And 
by the time Drew was 13, she already had to go to rehab. Um, at 15, she was already sober. She like apparently has this crazy story where like she were through her rehab process, it encouraged her or like, let's say the rehab encouraged her to emancipate herself from her parents. Um, it apparently was like this entire, like very civil emancipation, which I feel like you never hear of. <laughs> uh, and at 15 years old, she is now like saying that she's trying to like change her life. And for some reason, she's still so famous to the point where, well, E.T. is why she was famous, obviously. But at, at 15, Oprah interviews her with her mom. And I watched the interview and I was honestly dumbfounded. <laughs> what happened in the interview is that Drew basically admits, yeah, I started drinking when I was nine. I really like to have older friends. I mean, they related to me more and like she thought younger kids would just like bully her. And the mom admitted like Drew was really famous as a kid. Like I took her to these parties where I partied and I didn't think that my kid was partying. Like what else do you think your kid is doing running around alone? I know. And I'm sure like it's really sad that like all these people were around her probably watching her doing these things and maybe even getting a kick out of it. It's a little, it's it's like fucked up yeah like i was dying to find anecdotes that were like i saw drew at parties (laughs) yeah i'm sure everyone was like oh distance yeah but then at the same time like the way that she describes them and she's 15 in this interview is like oh um people just like saw it happening they were nice to me everything was fine i was just like well known um but basically this interview with oprah when she was like 15 kind of kickstarted her trying to like basically reinvent her entire life and kind of go on a press tour to remarket herself, which I found baffling. And instead of sinking down, she basically had a come up when she had already hit like rock bottom and ended up writing like a, a memoir about how she became sober called Little Girl Lost. And she started kind of auditioning for like different teen roles. And then now we're kind of in this point where we're in the early nineties after like the press tour started in 1990. And like by 1995, she is literally starting like her huge rise to fame and she is 20 years old and all of this has already happened. <laughs> that is unbelievable. What a, I think like you for, cause she's still very much in the public life. It, Oh yeah, it's crazy to think of how long she's been around, and the year that her career started out this way is like just really wild to think about. And she was so public about it starting out this way, but like I feel as if if anything like this started today, if they went down that road at the age of fourteen, fifteen, like we would never hear of them again, and that would be that. Hmm. And instead, we have Drew Barrymore, who went all the way down to rock bottom, came all the way back up. And by 1995, she was basically paving the ground for her to star in things like Never Been Kissed, Charlie's Angels, Riding in Cars with Boys, 51st Dates, Fever Pitch. Like, she became super, super, super famous again. I love all of those movies. I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
it's I you I don't even like I don't know why I don't ever think about that how she has done just so she's done so much it's really remarkable yeah and it's just crazy how like she was just born in 1975 and like already to me has lived like three lives mm-hmm. um but she has been married already like multiple times by the time she was in her early 20s like she didn't really have like the most healthy lifestyle um but what ended up happening was that i couldn't really like think of a good like black sheep in her family so i started googling all of the siblings from other marriages <laughs> which i found crazy and there are a couple of siblings um to her half brother and half sister who also were like kind of crazy had some drinking issues and her half sister Jessica was apparently found dead in 2014 oh, wow. in a car alone. And her cause of death was apparently like an accidental overdose. Um, Drew mentioned in like her statement around the death is like, I only met her briefly, but I wish her well, which was just like, Oh, that's so awkward that you would admit that you barely know her. Well, that's like, that just like really ex- exemplifies how much of a different life that some of these people really live, you know, like to not know your half sisters. I mean, I guess that's it happens outside of Hollywood, but mm-hmm. when you're when you have a family history of multiple wives and multiple children, it's I guess it's just commonplace. Exactly. So like she has all these half siblings who I guess I would lump together as the black sheep where like her half brother used to apparently like go around and like try to use Drew's name to get by, even though like they're not really close. Maybe they like used to be in each other's lives at some point, but overall Drew kind of just like goes by the beat of her own drum. So I found that all pretty fucking crazy because now in terms of where they stand today, Drew's father like basically had a pretty long life, but didn't pass until 2004. He eventually like passed from cancer um, of course, suffered from addiction, etc. And in 2009, Drew got to the point where she directed her first feature film, Whip It. <laughs> did you see Whip mm-hmm. It? I did see Whip It. But she basically like said that her 20s and 30s like made up for her teenage years, which like I guess is fine. But like I still am just so much like walking away from this, being confused as to how did she like live three lives and still live to tell the tale still become super famous and she still goes on interviews and talks about like her teenage years like in 2016 she opened up about her teenage years again like on howard stern basically said that like rehab fixed her life and did the work of like 18 years of parenting which i can see happening um yeah but i mean i guess not everyone can kind of have the most lovely fairy tale from starting from the bottom but i guess she kind of did (laughs) Yeah, she really did. I mean, she really turned her shit around. She, I know she produced a bunch of movies, too. Like, she produced mm-hmm. the first Scream movie. And, like, I was listening to it. I actually just listened to an interview with her. Because, you know, Hot Wings? That, like, yeah. YouTube series? She was on Hot Wings. And she talks about, for Scream, how, like, she produced it. And then, like, she was, like, everyone... And in the lead-up for the promotion of Scream, they promoted it as, like, Drew Barrymore being the star but spoiler alert, she dies in the first scene. Um, and everyone's like, what the fuck? So I thought that was pretty cool. And that was her idea. Wow. Um, and the other one that she produced was Dummy Darko, which I was obsessed with when I was younger. I don't know. 
I like Drew Barrymore. I'm like happy. I mean, like even though like I'm a very much against nepotism, I like for some reason I like her. <laughs> yeah, and that was what I think I walked away from thinking too. Like I don't understand how she made it, but like I'm okay with the fact that she did. Even though yeah. yes, it did like rise in nepotism. Yes, that is all really fucked up. Nepotism probably made her as fucked up as she was. But mm-hmm. she was able to turn her life around. And Brian, also, did you know that Drew Barrymore came out with a new talk show this week? It's called the Drew Barrymore Show. It's a daily show. She's legitimately, basically, the next Ellen. I don't know. I said it. And- <laughs> I'm okay with that. If it, if it works out, it works out. I think Ellen can, you know, go back away, hide, hide away for a little while, you know. I know. So here's her replacement, everyone. There you have it with Drew Barrymore. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Okay, so should I do the Disney's? Yes. So I think like thinking about Walt Disney is so crazy because you think of it as this like gigantic brand where really that's a person. You know, Walt mm-hmm. Disney was a was a human being and I think especially because it's such a part of our childhood there is yeah. such like a mystical thing behind Disney and you don't think of it as like concrete people, but they were and they are currently. So most of the family has stayed out of limelight today, but that's not to say that there hasn't been their share of family feuds and scandals, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, and no one in the family is currently working for Disney. However, they own about like 3% of the company, but it's like a, we all know it's like a, hundreds of billion dollars company and most of them all focus on philanthropy so like even if they had three percent which is what they have and if their company was worth a hundred billion they would still have three billion so wow and that's math Um, (laughs) that is math so So, disney was founded by brothers walt disney and roy o disney in 1923 um, Walt Disney was a cartoonist and animator, and Walt controlled the creative aspects of the company, where Roy ran the business side. And so it took them a while to like get things rolling, get it off the ground. They 
ended up like having their they made a bunch of short films and then they had this gigantic like the um the one where where Mickey is on the train and he's like dance like dancing in the beginning do you know what I'm talking about Oh yes 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 um but it wasn't until 1937 when Snow White came out and they had their first big success they made millions of dollars which was just like not a big thing that like mm-hmm. never happened and so then this basically led for other big successes uh like Dumbo and Pinocchio, mm-hmm. Fantasia, they all started to come out. But then World War II happened, which will which he which Disney also plays a part in, which we'll get to oh, wow. handles. Um because like World War II happens, European box offices were less reliable. Of course. And in nineteen fifty three uh, Walt self-funded a private company called WED Enterprises, now known as Walt Disney uh, Imagineering, and opened Disneyland two years later. This There was, like, no, like, like theme parks, I guess, existed, and, like, there were circuses and whatever, but to have this, like, idea of um, creating a world based yeah. off of, like, cartoons and stuff, like, that wasn't a thing. And Must have so come from, like, some drug trips or something like how do you come up well, with the idea of like an i mean there's a lot of like there's a lot of you know drug conspiracies surrounding a lot of early disney films um especially fantasia have you seen fantasia like holy shit so i had um, read about it i have not seen it it seems a little trippy if i do well, say and so also myself. like alice in wonderland oh, yeah. um like because you know the original it was a book and the original book like obviously had fantastical like ideas to it mm-hmm. um but that's but like they kind of like really interpreted to be like like the mad hatter like wasn't as mad as they made him and like with like the drugginess anyways Oof. so after a year after they had opened disneyland in 1964 walt and roy kicked off development of the walt disney world in florida and mm-hmm. that same year that's when Walt Disney launched the most important project of his career, um, Mary Poppins, which received 12 Academy Award nominations. So the culmination of making these worlds and then Mary Poppins being like this huge success because they had done so much animation that they wanted to start making more live action and they were having mm-hmm. that trouble crossing over. And in Mary Poppins, like I think like they added that whole, you know, cartoon sequence where they jump into the because they needed to have some of that disney thing to it yeah mary poppins Um, was one of my favorites when i was a kid like legitimately so amazing (laughs) and the author he actually fought a really really long time to get the rights to mary poppins i think there's a whole movie about it um saving mr banks uh (gasps) that's that's like all about the making of mary poppins and the author actually hated the movie (laughs) so that's just another fun fact. And so the company did stay in the uh, the family for a long time. Uh, Walt Disney had two daughters. Um, and one of the sons-in-law, Ron W. Miller, was the last family member to be the CEO of Disney. Whoa. And so under his leadership, Disney became the target of like corporate raiders and takeover attempts and... Uh, a lot of the shareholders then criticized Miller's leadership because it's just like he's your son-in-law. 
Mm-hmm. And in, 18, in 1984, another Disney family member, Roy E. Disney, son of Walt Disney's brother, Roy, um, who started Walt Disney with him, basically organized a coup to oust the son-in-law CEO. Um, <laughs> and they then installed a trio of non-Disney executives to um, lead the company. And that was the wow. end of that. But they still own like a portion of the stocks. So this brings us to some scandals. Wow. So during World War II, that was like Walt Disney produced propaganda, which isn't uncommon. Like, like I, you know, I mean, what wasn't uncommon and isn't uncommon, but I think we can all, I, did you ever learn about this in yes. high school? It was like a U.S. history thing that you saw. I, Right. I, I had completely forgot about this, but it was like when you started to look, they like, I remember learning about propaganda in high school or yes. middle school or something. And they show you this one and it's the, the, the Lieutenant duck one. Um, Oh yes, yes, yes. Or like no, the Sergeant, like, this. like the duck one uh, where Donald duck is like, um, yep. fighting at the Japanese and it pushed racist stereotypes of Japanese people and helps further along anti-Japanese sentiment in our country because oh, yeah. as we all remember there we ended up putting Japanese Americans in internment camps because mm-hmm. there was just a lot of anti-Japanese uh, propaganda out there and there are also a lot of like very racist stereotypes in countless other early mm-hmm. Disney films uh, it's basically too many to main. They're in Dumbo. They had to. They've even edited out that scene with the um, with the with the birds, the, oh. with the crows, because it was like pushing like um, black stereotypes. Wow. Um, in 1947, during the second Red Scare, Disney had testified before the House Un-American Activities Committee, where he branded some of the people who worked for him, uh, Herbert Sorrell, David Hilberman, and William Pomerantz, who were animators who basically wanted to form a, a labor union, like, because they thought <laughs> that they were being taken advantage of. And he called them communist agitators. Um, Disney stated that the 1941 strike led by them was part of an organized communist effort to gain influence in Hollywood. Whereas it was more likely they just wanted to have some like workers' rights, um, because he was not an easy person to work for. Like he Clearly. had this, he had a persona of this like, you know, family man, like love your children, like extra extra. Et but people didn't even realize like he smoked. Like he died of lung cancer at like sixty six <sighs> because he just constantly was like smoking and drinking. But it did not fit his, you know his facade that he was yeah. playing as Walt Disney. And I mean, it worked because like it's still around today and it was alleged by the New York times in 1993 that Disney had been passing secret information to the FBI from 1940 until his death in 1966. In return for this information, J Edgar Hoover allowed Disney to film in FBI headquarters. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and apparently Disney was made a full special agent in charge contact, which I don't really know what that means. I feel as if this is, yeah, another, like, family that, like, you don't understand how they became so big by being such nasty people, and they somehow still made it. Totally.
Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So Walt Disney only had two children and they were two daughters and they all pretty much just like stayed out of the limelight. Mm -hmm. Um... For the most part, his one daughter ended up having seven kids, but his other daughter, Sharon Disney, had three children. And this is what's bringing us to like more of a scandal that's happening today. So, Ooh, yes, Sharon Disney had her first her first daughter, Victoria. She was adopted. Uh, Sharon Disney was also adopted, actually, um, from her first marriage. And then she had twins, uh, Brad and Michelle, from the second. And then Mich- when Sharon had died. Uh, from breast cancer in 1993, um, she had about like $400 million in stock to be left behind. And the Just money about. was, yeah, the money was supposed to be given to them in increments of five years once they turned 35. And so this is weird. So, but there was a condition in this trust fund that the trustees of the fund could decide to withhold distributions in the event that the children did not demonstrate, quote, maturity and financial ability to manage and utilize such funds in prudent and responsible mm-hmm. manner. So, like, she, there were these trustees, some of them were her, like, former husband and um, just, like, other people that they knew and that were close to the family. One of them was, uh, like, someone's, like, wife, like, the stepmother's wife. It's, like, mm-hmm. very convoluted. But basically, they, the, these trustees would get paid, like, anywhere between 500000 uh, to a million dollars a year just for managing a trust, wow. which is interesting. Imagine um, the day. Yeah. And so the oldest daughter, Victoria, uh, she was like a heroin addict. And Dis- the Disney family like just used their money to hide everything. Um, in her last few years, Victoria would charter planes and spend about $5,000 a night suites at like the Royal Palms in Las Vegas. One time she went on a Disney cruise and destroyed her suite. No. Um, she destroyed it so badly that um, the CEO of the company had to call the trustees and make them pay for the damages of on the Disney cruise ship. Oh um, the family staged numerous interventions to no avail. However, when Victoria turned that age 35, the trustees did end up giving her her money and she got $20 million. Wow. However, a year later in 2002, she died from, it's not really talked about. It's kind of been pushed under the rug, but 
the trustees on the twins' birthday, the two um, Walt Disney's grandchildren from Sharon, on their 35th and 40th birthdays, basically lead, led to accusations of conspiracy and mental incompetence that culminated in ugly depositions with insinuations of incest leading up to a two-week-long battle of a trial in December. On one side of the lawsuit was Brad, one of the twins, who was 43. His lawyers, his father, Bill, um, and his stepmother, Sherry. And then on the other side was the three current trustees, who was on Brad's twin sister's side, Michelle. So Michelle had all of these issues as well. She was diagnosed uh, to have dyslexia as a child, and she's never had a job in her life. But she owns all these like property. Brad is apparently some sort of mental disability as well. Um, it's all crazy because he's a grown man. He's like was forty three at the time, but people, the public, still couldn't know like what it was. Like they said that like neither of them, both sides, were fighting that they couldn't get. Um, the, they shouldn't be able to get the money when they turn thirty five, which is interesting wow. because he had all these like mental problems. His mother would have known when she was dying to be like mental maturity. So it's like, it's hard to know who's telling the truth. And And at the same time, I feel like they might've even been like throwing money at the problem to cover up his like developmental disabilities, which is just Mm -hmm. really sad and also seen in other families. So the testimony included Sherry, uh, Brad and Michelle, the twins, like stepmother. Um, accusing the trustees essentially of brainwashing her stepdaughter, Michelle, against her her and her husband. And she blamed them for trying to ruin the family, to kill her husband over this. Michelle and the trustees argued that Brad wasn't capable of managing his share because of a chronic cognitive disability and that their father was taking advantage of him to gain their money. So it's just on all sides really fucked up. Like Michelle also had a history of drug addiction and she had a brain aneurysm in 2009. (gasps) She was in a coma. So these like, so it's basically a battle of the trustees um, and these two twins, like both sides basically seeming like they're trying to take advantage of the kids to a, they they wanted to keep the money in the trust as long as possible because Mm -hmm. they get paid a million dollars a year to manage it. But also, if they're able to, you know, kind of take over, like, take advantage of their mental disabilities, they can reap the benefits of the money. So, Michelle, the one twin, did end up getting her share of the money when she turned 35. And then the other, the other twin, Brad, ended up getting, settling for installments of $500,000 a year. That's crazy. I can't believe you could still get paid all of this money out of the trust and then also get paid to manage it. Like how does one manage a trust? I need to know. I don't understand what that means either. It's like, so you just like, you get paid a million dollars a year to make sure that these people get their money. It's weird. Like, that doesn't make and sense to me. It, you see it, you see it happening in like, even in like other things with like less money. If someone like dies and you're an executor of the will, like if you're an executive yeah. of the will, you get like 20% of whatever it is anyway, or mm-hmm. something around that. I don't know, but we're dealing with like billions of dollars. So there is like one prominent black sheep of the family and her name is Abigail Disney. And she is Walt Disney's grandniece and Roy O. Disney's granddaughter. And she is very vocal about abolishing billionaires. Like you, I, 
there's been like some viral videos, viral tweet threads of her in 2019. She told the cut that she was embarrassed by her family's wealth. Um, and it like led to her having like an inferiority complex around people who have actually earned their money. Um, wow. And because, so the way the family was is like, they were, they were normal families. Like Do- Walt mm-hmm. Disney raised his kids normally. He tried to not like spoil them. They, and then the kids in turn did the same thing, but it's when the grandchildren and like the parents, like they, they became, they became richer later in life when mm-hmm. the Disney company started acquiring all this shit. And like when they went public, they just became like ultra wealthy people. Um, and so Abigail Disney explains this one time and that didn't happen until Abigail Disney was like in her like, like early, like later in life, like, like late teens, twenties. And she says, when I went off to college, um, and when someone came in and reinvigorated the company and then the stock price, which was basically my family's entire net worth was 10, 20, 50 times what it had been when I was growing up. So all of a sudden we went from being comfortable upper middle class people to suddenly my dad had a private jet. That's when I feel, yeah, that's when I feel my dad really lost his way in life. And that's when I feel hyper-conscious about what wealth does to people. I lived in a one family as a child and then I didn't even recognize the family as I got older because they just became super, super wealthy overnight. And she talks about this. It's incredible that she spoke out at least. Like I feel as if that is a little more rare than it should be in these crazy families. Like none of them ever kind of come out and say like, hey, I realize that this is fucking wild and this is why. Well, she like she tells she tells this story about how she was like her her early twenties, and she was on a private jet by herself from California to New York to like go to a school or something, and she was like, "Why?" And she was looking around and she was like, "Why am I on this private jet by myself? Like wasting all of this energy? Like you know, like like it's bad for the environment to take private jet. Like well, she could have taken a fucking." like commercial flight she still just sat first class but like yeah. her like the blaseness of it just like started to like really bother her and so since then she's been very vocal about like abolishing billionaires even though she like pretty much is one herself um she was one of 18 ultra wealthy americans to sign a letter asking presidential candidates to support a wealth tax in june 2019 and in 2020 she was one of 80 plus millionaires to petition for higher taxes on the wealthy to help fund new government programs toward coronavirus aid. Oh, that's amazing. And then as of today, um, Abigail's brother, Roy P., who is a, quote, investor. And so in, by 1960, Walt and Roy owned about 20% of the company. Today, the family owns less than 3% of the company. The Walt Disney Company is worth an estimated $130 billion today. And the family owns 3%, which is around $3.1 billion. Um, You can see, like, I have a list of Disney acquisitions uh, here. But before Bob Iger took over, they had acquired, like, ABC, Miramax. And then Bob Iger took over, they took Family, Box Family, The Muppets, Pixar, Marvel, Hulu. They have 30% um, ownership in Lucasfilm, Star Wars. And most recently, in 2019, they acquired 21st Century Fox for $71.3 billion. Um, and like, how I do they think, even... It's like the, the, most, the most, like, happy family, com- like, in the world is, like, controls, like, so much of the content that we see today. One, 
just started by these two brothers. We now see them. We now we now see it everywhere. ABC. They're controlling our like like our news. It's it's really 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 um, crazy because we eventually we'll talk about you know the Rockefellers and mm-hmm. all these like other families who have their like oil empires disbanded by the by the government. And I'm looking, and you look at this list of what Disney controls. How is this not a monopoly? Yeah, like I was just thinking that, and then at the same time, like I hate to be the person to say this, but like, don't you like get tired of like doing all this work? Like, I think I would just be like, okay, we have enough money that like five generations like don't need to be doing this anymore. Like, well, I would just and like when I think of like the twin family feud. I think of like you are all fighting about so much money that if say like oh I they say I should only have five million when I deserve twenty and it's like what are you gonna do with that fifteen million dollars in the next five you know like yeah that's still a fuck t- like do you really need that much money like we don't no one needs that much money especially yeah. if you already have like houses like they already have houses like mm-hmm. they have things. I don't know. Like, they have the jet. Like, what else do you need yeah. after that? But, yeah, the, so that is the, uh, that's the Disney family. Um, so next time you hear that, do, 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 yep. maybe you'll think about all of this. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot about the Disneys. I feel as if I'll never understand, like, why I was watching so many Disney movies as a kid. Like, I guess that was what all the parents just gave their kids. And now I'm like, there's so much corruption watching them. There's so many weird yeah. things. And I'm like, I wonder what my kid would watch. Like, oh. Probably not that. The reason we watch so many Disney stuff is because they literally own everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. That was super fun. Let's take a quick break and play a game. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. 
No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Welcome back. Um, So we are going to play another round of Do You Know Who My Dad Played? Where we guess like a famous actor's parents or children or relations. Uh, So Alicia, are you ready for the first one? Yes, I surprisingly suck at this game, but I am excited to learn. (laughs) Okay, this week we'll start with an easy one. The actor is best known for their role in Fifty Shades of Grey, but do you know who their famous parents are? Oh my gosh, I know this actress. I think, I, 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 well, yeah, Dakota Johnson. Yes, parents. Is the actress. Mm-hmm. I think I know who it is. I, 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 I don't really remember. Oh, I do, I do, I remember. I remember her I name. I don't know their I, af- occupation. I will give you, I think if I'm right, I, I can remember that she had a pet tiger growing up. <gasps> oh my does this God. Make, does this ring any bells? I think it's Melanie Griffith. <laughs> is Melanie Griffith? Let's see. The answer is, it's Dakota Johnson. Her parents are actors. Don Johnson, best known for his role as Sonny Crockett in Miami Vice and Melanie Griffith, best ah! known for being Melanie Griffith. <laughs> Meanwhile... <laughs> So Melanie Griffith's mother is Tippi Hedren, known for her lead role in Alfred Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Wow, look at that. Wow. Learn something Um, new every day. Yeah, I didn't know that. But I did know that she had a pet tiger growing up or a lion and it bit her on the face at some point and she had to get surgery to fix it. That's why you shouldn't have pet tigers, ladies and gents. Yeah, that's true. All right, next one. Ben Stiller is famous for his movie Meet the Parents, but do you know who both of his parents actually are? I think I know who his dad is. I don't remember his mother's name, but I know that she was, I know that Jerry Stiller is Ben Stiller's dad, who was in Seinfeld, who played um, the bald guy's dad. What was his name in the show? I want to say his role was Frank. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sure you're probably screaming, George, George Costanza. Um, (laughs) Podcast producer Sean to the rescue. And his real, and so Ben Stiller's real life mom played George Costanza's mom too. So I know that, but I don't remember, I don't remember their names. I don't remember their name. All right, let's see what the answer is. All right, well, we're right for some of it. Ben's father is actor Jerry Stiller, best known for his role as Frank Costanza in Seinfeld. But Mm -hmm. did you know that his mom was also an actress? You'd recognize Anne, oh, you'd recognize Anne Mara from several roles, including Steve's mom on Sex and the City. And I am obsessed with Sex and the City, so. I I could hear you get excited. Okay, next one. Uh, She fell in love with Shakespeare and an Iron Man, but do you know who her parents really are? Oh gosh, I do know these parents, don't I? I know. Um, I I know who this is. I know who the mom is. Yeah. Um, I think they're famous actors and actresses. 
Um, I don't know the names of the parents, but I, I mean, Shakespeare and Iron Man, that it has to be, I'm thinking Gwyneth Paltrow. Let's see. Yes, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Her act, her mother is <laughs> actress Blythe Danner, who you probably know as the mom from Meet the Parents and Marilyn on Will and Grace. Her father, on the other hand, was a director and producer best known as the executive producer on the long-running television series Saint Elsewhere. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow is someone I always sort of forget has famous parents. Yeah, so I read about her when I was doing the research for this episode briefly, and it blew my mind. I was like, oh, I thought mm-hmm. she was down to earth. Guess uh, she I like her that though. way. I yeah, know. right? I feel like she's probably cool because Chris Martin, I mean, not to say that like a girl, a woman is cool based off of who they're married to, <laughs> but Chris Martin is like the lead singer of Coldplay and pretty, like, just like awesome in my Yeah. Opinion. And it's hard for I mean, me to say a straight man is awesome. Yeah, and I love what Coldplay did over quarantine. Like, they were the ones who kind of started those live little concerts for that little period of time. That was lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go back to darker time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one. She was the bride-to-be in Bridesmaids and a start on SNL. But do you know who her mom is? This woman is literally one of my favorite people in Hollywood. I just listened to a podcast with her um, the other day. I'm I love her too. It's Maya Rudolph. Yeah. I forget I forget that her mom her mom and like I was so I this is like very like this I I didn't realize this that she had mm-hmm. such famous parents. Her mom is like a famous singer or something. Oh. Um. We'll probably be seeing a lot more of Maya Rudolph around when SNL starts and they have her playing oh. Kamala Harris. Yeah. So I thought her Kamala impressions were so good. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the SNL can either like help a political candidate or like really destroy them. You know, like uh, Tina Fey as Sarah Palin probably like did a lot of damage to Sarah Palin's. Yeah, uh, you know. The did way you she hear is. that um, Jim Carrey is going to come on as Joe Biden? I did see that. See, I have a I have an issue with SNL bringing in so many stunt actors you know what i mean like i think it takes away from the ensemble yeah but, uh you know whatever i'm lauren michael seems to know what he's doing i okay guess so. yeah <laughs> all right maya rudolph her mom was minnie ripperton queen of whistle register best known for her 1975 single loving you her father is Richard Rudolph. I know nothing about him, but he is a songwriter, musician, producer, best known for, you guessed it, co-writing Loving You. Love that. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's kind of sweet. So, so this one may seem that. easy, but the names don't quite add up. He was the coach of the Mighty Ducks and a wrestler in Breakfast Club. But do you know who his dad is? I... I'm like realizing I am so invested in celebrities' lives. Like I know it's way too much. <laughs> See, you know I one? feel horrible because I'm invested in like horrible things like The Bachelor and the Karashians. Like I need to be more <laughs> invested in real life content. <laughs> it's um, okay. This one is a little hard for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not positive because I was not a huge Breakfast Club person. Oh, really? Have Bad you seen it? Admit. 
So I had tried starting it during quarantine, but it was one of those times where like I couldn't concentrate on anything at a, at a certain time. I would just be so emotional. <laughs> yeah. So I never finished it. Yeah, I get that. Um, so I know who this is. Uh, I'm going to go before I, the answer is revealed to me. I'm going to say it is Emilio Estevez. And his hmm. father is Martin Sheen, whose real last name is Estevez, I believe. Um, oh, let's my see. gosh. But he like he like white he like whitened his name. So here we go. Emilio wow. Estevez, his father is none other than President Bartlett himself from the West Wing, Martin Sheen. Many are confused by their different last names, but Martin Sheen is a stage name born Ramon Estevez. Meanwhile, Emilio's younger brother Charlie chose to use his dad's stage name to get ahead in Hollywood. So isn't wow. that interesting? Charlie That's Sheen and Emilio Estevez are brothers. Like you would never guess that. Mm-hmm. But I suppose um, people whitening their names and shit just confuses all of us. Yeah. All right. Well, next up, he is the star of Christopher Nolan's new movie, Tenet, and played the titular character in Black Klansman. But you may not know who his famous father is. Okay, so I heard about this when Black Klansman came out because I remember like my boyfriend went to go see it and like made this comment. Um, so I want to say that this person is, um, I don't know the name of him. I don't know his Uh, exact name. I know his father. I know the father's name. I think the father is Denzel Washington. Mm -hmm. I do not remember the son's name. Let's see. Let's see. All right. Oh. A white name again. John David Washington. His dad (laughs) is Denzel Washington, one of the most influential actors of his generation. My mom is in love with him today. Would John David have gotten so many great roles without his father's reputation attached? Probably fucking not. But he definitely inherited his father's signature laugh. Oh, I love a good Denzel laugh. Mm Mm-hmm. They're both very handsome men, oh, I yeah. will say. I will, give, I will say that. So she <laughs> played Pussycat in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and was the daughter in HBO's The Leftovers. But do you know who her mom is? Wow, I am perplexed. What? I do not I, know this one. Sean, you're killing me. <laughs> I loved The Leftovers. Who was th- this? Is I did not know this was a thing. Did you also, watch that show? I saw the leftovers, and now I'm even more confused. I know, me too. I'm like, wait, who was the daughter in HBO's Leftovers? No, no I don't know. Um, also, <laughs> Justin Theroux is one of my favorite celebrity crushes. All right, let's see who this is. <laughs> um, Margaret Margaret Qualley. Her mom is actress Andy McDowell, best known for her roles in Groundhog Day. <gasps> And four weddings and a funeral. Oh, oh Andy wow. McDowell. I, I did not put the name to that face. I know exactly who that is. I know exactly who that hmm. is, too. Interesting. Uh-huh. I had no idea. Wow. This is just, like, more fucked up by the day. Everybody has, like, a parent in this industry. Yeah. All right. Last one. You may know her as Infinity Jackson from Netflix, The Politician. Big show. Or as Harper and set it up. Ooh. Um, but do you know who her mom is? Hint, she is famous for playing a mom, sort of. I don't know. The fun fact about the politician, 
Ben Platt, the lead actor in The Politician, his mm-hmm. father is like a, one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. He's producing, he's pro- he produced Wicked on and Broadway. He produced Wicked on Broadway. He, what else did he produce? Mm-hmm. Like all so many like famous big musicals. Um, but not to say that I don't think Ben Platt is, um, not to say that I don't think yeah. Ben Platt is talented, but it's just very uh, prevalent. So I don't know this. When- I don't know. And when I think I did see set it up and mm-hmm. I know that the person in there is Zoe Dutch, Zoe Dush, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I also just thought of set it up legitimately last night because Tay Diggs, who's also on the stars of set it up, um, was on one of my new favorite shows on Netflix, the home edit. <laughs> um, I, haven't heard, they, I haven't heard of that. Oh, not the home edit. Um, what the fuck am I saying? It's not the home edit. It is Selling Sunset. He was on Selling Sunset last night. Oh. Um, I watched both of those shows last night. So look at how much TV I watch. Um, all right. But yes. So Zoe Dash, her mom is Leah Thompson. She is best known as Lorraine McFly from Back to the Future and as Caroline and Caroline in the City. Her dad, meanwhile... Howard Dutch, film director, best known for directing John Hughes, hits Pretty in Pink and some kind of wonderful. Wow, I had no idea that Zoe Deutsch had that connection. Me neither, but she was cute and set it up. Yeah, I love, man, that's so frustrating. (laughs) Like, honestly, I just get mad. <laughs> that's why. That's why. They, that's why Hollywood is such a hard thing to break into, is because you have to just most of people. Mostly, everyone knows someone. You have to just be very talented and lucky. It's really frustrating. Okay, so that was this week's episode of "Do You Know Who My Dad Is?" a podcast about failing up. Make sure you tune in next week to listen to our episode about the Bush family dynasty. Y'all are gonna love it. Batches.